Tamaria. Welcome to First Up. It is Ramiri. That's Friday, the 12th of August. Call Nathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, the FBI raid on Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago continues to dominate US headlines. We're in New York with Bevan Hurley. The first cruise ship in two years is about to enter our waters, and Auckland is pulling out all the stops to greet her. The Minister of Fruit and Veg, Glenn Forthice, talks about giant blueberries. And countdown to All Blacks redemption, please. Please. We're in South Africa ahead of the All Blacks versus Springboks game. Ian Foster's playing it, I guess, steady and defiantly, which has been a bit of his tone this week. He He's <laughs> kind of refusing to acknowledge that he doesn't have a team heading in the right direction. Maria, welcome to First Up. Uh, I'm Nathan Rarity, and today's theme word is brr, because it's cold, eh? It's muckariri today. Look, as we do most Fridays, we begin in New York. Our man taking a bite out of the Big Apple is Bevan Hurley. Morena, Bevan. Morena, Nathan. Uh, the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago was all over my news channels, dominating the headlines. What's the latest? So this morning, um, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that an informant within Trump's camp tipped off the FBI and told them where they would find the classified material they were looking for. Uh, And this comes after um, a meeting in June between DOJ investigators uh, who met with Trump attorneys at Mar-a-Lago seeking more information about more than a dozen boxes of material that was taken to Florida when Trump departed the White House. After that meeting, the journal reports that someone familiar with the stored papers told investigators there may be still more classified documents at the private club beyond what Trump had turned over to the National Archives. Uh, Now, there's still a lot we don't know about the raid, such as exactly what investigators were looking for and what they took, but it has set off some um, really uh, inflammatory rhetoric from Trump supporters. Uh, Republicans in Congress are calling for the FBI to be abolished or defunded, and they promised to pursue and even impeach its leaders should they win back control of the House in November's midterms. And there are many who are calling for violence on social networks like Gab and Truth Social. Um, but the raid was just the first part of an extraordinary legal week for Trump. On Wednesday, he sat for a deposition with New York Attorney General Letitia James, where he pleaded the Fifth Amendment 440 times and refused to answer any questions on the grounds that they could be self-incriminating. The deposition was part of a three-year civil investigation into whether the Trump organization misled lenders, insurers, and tax authorities by lying about the value of its assets. And it leaves uh, the New York AG Letitia James with a big decision to make, whether to sue Mr. Trump or to seek a settlement that could extract a significant financial penalty. And it's just a sign of the amount of legal woes that he's in, Nathan. He's also the subject of a criminal probe into his efforts to overturn the 2020 election and a separate investigation in Georgia looking into that infamous call when he asked officials to find him enough votes to win the state. That's right, I remember that. I think it's interesting now. There's going to be a lot of finger-pointing quietly there at Mar-a-Lago with who who said... I don't know, maybe someone saw that one of his ex-wives got thrown in a hole in a golf course and went, oh, I know, I might do this. Perhaps it could be that. That's just wild speculation from me, everybody. That is not being reported. That's just, that's just wild speculation. Thank you. Um, hey, um, cost of living crisis was a nice catchphrase for a lot of uh, opposition parties around the world. You've got one in New York at the moment. What's your advice for people who come to visit? 
Yeah, so we're, um, we've got direct flights beginning from Auckland to New York on Air New Zealand in just over a month. And anyone making the trip over should brace themselves if the cost of New York staples have gone through the roof. Uh, the New York Times have looked into how much prices have increased by it. And they found a cocktail bar in Times Square, which is charging 31 New Zealand dollars for a Manhattan cocktail, 23 bucks for a bowl of French fries or $30 for a plate of guacamole. Uh, a sandwich... <laughs> A sandwich at a Taiwanese cafe in Brooklyn will set you back $28, while a plain bagel from a street cart now costs $5.50. Or if you really wanted to splash out, Nathan, you could uh, go to a Michelin-starred restaurant for a 12-ounce gorgonzola-cured Wagyu steak for $180 before tips. Well, of course, (laughs) give me five of those. Most importantly, New York City, hot nuts and hot dogs. Those are the things that I remember, the smells. are Are they still about the same, or have they gone up as well? Everything's gone up, Nathan. It's just, um, you know, pack the greenbacks if, if you're coming over. That's all I can say. Okay. Uh, one of the hottest tickets in town, though, you want to save your money for is the US Open with Serena Williams hinting at retirement. Yeah, demand for tickets to the US Open has skyrocketed in the 24 hours since uh, the great Serena Williams announced that she would likely be retiring after the tournament. Um, Before Tuesday, tickets were going um, for as low as $55 for the first night on August 29. But now you can only get verified resales for $120 for a single ticket. And of course, Williams isn't even guaranteed to play on that date. Uh, The draw won't be released until the Thursday before the tournament. But it's going to be really hard, um, you know, picturing the women's game without Serena. She launched her pro career in 1995 as a 14-year-old and has since won 23 Grand Slam titles, including six at the US. But she did say herself in that interview with Vogue that she didn't think of it as retirement, but that she was evolving away from tennis. So maybe we will see her again. Mm. Well, there he is. And amongst the $30 French fries, it's <laughs> it's uh, Bevan Hooley who is with us from New York City. It's 11 past five. You're listening to First Up here at RNZ National with me, Nathan Radede. As the war in Ukraine continues, authorities are struggling to repatriate the bodies of fallen soldiers. They say it's impossible to know how many have been killed on either the Russian or the Ukrainian side. Only around 400 bodies of Ukrainian soldiers have been recovered since hostilities began, the BBC's Wera Davis reports. At the very start of this war, Russian soldiers were filmed entering the suburbs of Kharkiv. Some of the fiercest fighting took place in and around this eastern city. While the Russian troops were eventually repelled, Kharkiv came under relentless shelling and rocket attack. Some occupied villages between Kharkiv and the nearby Russian border have been liberated. There was an unexploded brand sticking out of the ground right in the middle of the road. But the road to Momotove, littered with the detritus of war, is still too dangerous for most civilians to return. And before people come back, there's important work to be done. Momotove has to be made safe and bodies, many of them buried at haste in shallow graves, have to be recovered. Well, this village was deep inside Russian-occupied territory. It's still a live firing zone, as you can probably hear in the background. But what these guys are doing now, they're locals, they're digging up the bodies of Russian soldiers who've been killed in the fighting. After they've been bagged, they'll be taken away for DNA sampling and eventually they'll be repatriated to Russia itself. Piled on top of each other, the bodies of six Russian soldiers. Okay, sure. 
Yuri the Gravedigger sure. takes this grim work in his stride. And even though these men, when alive, were fighting to defeat Ukraine, he feels for their families. It's not difficult, but it's not pleasant work either. These men have people waiting for them at home, mothers, fathers and children. I understand that, because I used to serve in the Soviet army myself. It's Russian police, uh, National Guard, Russian. Little giveaways like unit badges help with identification. Some of these men fighting for Russia may have even come from pro-Moscow regions of Ukraine. It's messy and dangerous work, even as more bodies are uncovered. Reminders that this is an active war zone. Ukraine says it's meticulously trying to identify those killed. A railway goods yard, their resting place for now. The repatriation of war dead does happen, but it's sporadic. We find plenty of Russians, says Lieutenant Colonel Oleksandr Kutsenko from the repatriation unit. Recently, we did a 160 for 160 body swap in the south, but most of those were found here in the Kharkiv region. The bodies we saw being dug up have now been repatriated. But with no end in sight to this war, the number of dead will inevitably go up and more bereaved families on both sides will anxiously await the return of the fallen. That was Wera Davis reporting from Ukraine. Let's be exact, 14 and a half past five. You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radere. Always keen for feedback. Uh, an All Blacks confidence check is a good one. I saw a story last night saying that actually it makes it more interesting. Apparently the ratings are up because the All Blacks are losing. Interesting. The other one, uh, which has just been sent to me by a friend, does a straw have one hole or two? 2101. Think about that. Let's go to Africa now, where Kenyans still don't know who their next president will be. Uh, that's almost three days after polls closed. We head to Ghana, where our man Nabil uh, Ahmed is waiting for us. Morning, Nabil. Hello, Nathan. Good to hear your voice, sir. Tell me, let's start in Sierra Leone, though. Uh, tell me about the unrest on the streets there. Well, um, we are learning that at least six police uh, officers have been killed. Uh, in anti-government protests in northern and western Sierra Leone. And the incident happened actually on Wednesday when thousands of anti-government protesters, I mean, clashed with the police. Now, the demonstrations was against the high cost of living in the country. And the protesters are actually calling for the president, um, Madabiu, to step down. Now, during the uh, protest, they burnt ties along the streets and also threw stones at the police, and that led to the death of six police, and at least two civilians are also reported uh, dead after the clashes. Now, the regional bloc ECOWAS has called for calm and has condemned the act and uh, called for the perpetrators of the act to be prosecuted, Nathan. Uh, we'll go to Kenya now. As I mentioned there in the intro, so the election has happened. They still don't know late, uh, you know, who the president is. Why is it taking so long? Well, basically, Nathan, it's because um, the telling of the result is done uh, for, uh, through a manual process. And uh, more than 46,000 polling stations 
um, actually um, that's where the uh, voting took place. And for the 46,000 polling stations, all these results from these stations have to be uh, uh, tallied manually. And that's what's delaying the results. And, you know, this is not something that happens in Kenya alone. In many parts of Africa, the count is done manually. So uh, for the result, final results to be declared by Electoral Commission, it takes a, a longer time. It, it will take three or four days, sometimes a week, before the final results will be declared. And now we are learning that actually the uh, media has also been collating their own results. And for now, uh, it's actually a close call between um, Raila Odinga and William Ruto. Right. Uh, if we go to Nigeria now, some horrible news. There's been an airstrike uh, on, a, on a camp. Uh, but is, is it good, good or bad, this airstrike that's gone on there? Well, um, that is actually good. It's become a welcoming news for a lot of Nigerians because the government has been trying hard to tackle insecurity in the country. Now, the Nigerian Air Force says 26 kidnapped victims escaped after the airstrike that hit the militant camp. So this is actually good news. And this actually happened in uh, the northwest of Nigeria, uh, in the town called Kaduna. Now, also, uh, we are learning that uh, the leader of the armed group and his 17 members were killed uh, during the airstrike, uh, according to the uh, Nigerian force. And um, this is really good news for a lot of Nigerians because um, the fight against insurgency and also insecurity in the country has been a difficult one. And this comes as very good news, uh, Nathan. Thank you. Uh, look, I know something that always brightens your day, Nabil. Just tell us about football news. What There's an African, yes. super, African Super League. What's that? Yes, uh, so the CAF boss, uh, Patrice Mochepe, has actually announced the launch of the CAF African Super League. Now, this is something that has been in the works for a while now. Uh, it generated a lot of controversy because you know that the Europe uh, Super League was sent down um, and then um, there was a proposal for an African Super League and this has actually seen the light of the day and it has been launched and we know that the new competition is set to kick off uh, I mean, from 2023 uh, to 2024 season. And the prize money for this particular African Super Cup is $100 million. Now, wow. it's a lot of excitement for many local clouds because uh, they believe that this is going to raise the standards of African football, Nathan. I can imagine it will, and Nabil will be there in the crowd uh, chanting, don't run out on the field, please. Thank you very much, Nabil Ahmed, who's with us every week, and he came from Ghana. We're at 20 past five. I'm Nathan Radade and you are listening to First Up here at RNZ National. So between now and six o'clock, you're going to hear the fruit of the week with the Minister of Fruit and Veggies, Glenn Forsyth. Also, it's quite exciting, a cruise ship, the Pacific Explorer, is just hours from entering New Zealand waters. So we'll cross to the Chief Executive of the New Zealand Cruise Association as he awaits them. There they are standing in the rear. Big one, small one, some big They are. It's uh, that time of the week again, everybody. Friday, fresh produce morning. It's Glenn Forsyth, our Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Kia ora, sir. How are you? Oh, Marina Nathan, I'm very well. Yourself, my friend? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. It's very cold in here, ho. I don't know what happens. Lisa Owen shares the studio in the afternoon, and it's set to like 12 degrees in here. It's brr. <laughs> I just went and got a cup of hot water. That's that's oh. how cold it is in here. Goodness me. Good anyway, stuff. enough complaining from me because really it's good produce that will cheer me up. What's good in the produce hood? 
Yeah, vegetables.co.nz, they put out a great regular update too with their August one coming out last week. So even though lettuce quality is still poor, we have had good supplies of broccoli this week. One grower has suggested to eat soon after purchasing as product has been waterlogged and won't store for long. And matching broccoli this weekend are good supplies of cauliflower. We're very lucky to have these two vegetables still in good supply this late in winter as it is, it is cold outdoors. Now shop around for good collie buys, however, as it has only come on during the week, so visit those retailers that react quickly to oversupplies. The, the latest Rabobank Kiwi Harvest Food Waste Survey has shown now we are wasting an eye-watering $3.1 billion per year at a national level. So uh, some top tips to save on produce wastage include planning meals and freezing leftovers. Other tips are to store veggies well as they have their differences. Um, now vegetables.co.nz again has all this on their website. Clean your storage areas often as well in the fridge and keep your potatoes and onions, for example, separate in the garage or your cool cupboard. And uh, use the whole vegetable at all times. Eat the peel or use them, tops and ends, leaves in a homemade stock, uh, and chop up those broccoli stems or roast pumpkin seeds as well, you know, to snack on. That's an idea. Excellent. Uh, let's have a look at, well, let's, why don't we just keep it vegetable? What's the hot vegetable right now? Is it, is it the, the broccoli and the, and the cauliflower? Yeah, they're there. And, you know, now, first of all, news out of Australia this week, they have light at the end of their tunnel now as growers have had time to re-establish their fields and are expecting price falls within a few weeks. However, we in New Zealand remain on a knife edge. We don't get as warm as them early on. And with our own planting problems a while back, we could still get that horrible annual hole in outdoor vegetable supply by early September yet. Uh, we are already experiencing shortages now with indoor crops such as tomatoes, capsicums and eggplant. But vegetables in good supply for us this weekend are carrots, mushrooms, kumara, pumpkin, leeks, parsnips and celery. And there are more Australian courgettes getting across, which is great news. And an indoor crop uh, bucking the trend in fair supply are telegraph cucumbers. They are graded by length for the wholesale market, but in winter they aren't as big as what they are in the hot summer months. Now, you don't need to peel telegraph cukes, and most popular they're eaten raw. Slice them up and use them like crackers. Uh, that helps keep the calories down when you put all your other yummy toppings on there. Yeah, it's the girth they want. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, fruits as well. What's happening in fruit world? Yeah, now have you noticed any out-of-season high-priced fruit during your shopping this week, Nathan? I have noticed high-priced fruit, yes. Yeah. Well, if you do have a spare hundred dollars, there are air freighted stone fruits here from America and even mm. some very early New Zealand berries grown under plastic tunnels. But more affordable fruit and good supply this week has been avocados, green kiwi fruit, oranges, lemons and sweet tango apples. A little dearer, New Zealand tamarose, they're looking exquisite. And some imported treats include bananas, truffle gold, gold pineapples, Australian afora mandarins and the first of the USA seedless grapes so snap them up because they are going to go out very quickly and fruit of the week today Nathan is a Hi Glenn, what's your fruit of the week? It's New Zealand pears Now, now, a boomer, because this season has been a cracker for quality. I mean, oranges and apples are always a go-to for school and the office, sure, but put pears into the mix too. Winter Nellis and the Angelis, they're readily available. And and I called Brad Malcolm from Eckerdale Orchards in Nelson yesterday as well to check in. They started in 1915, and he's fifth generation. I mean, that's outstanding. Follow them on Instagram, but they have lovely green peckhams and brown bosk currently under the label Nelson Fresh. Now, Brad's favourite, he cooks with the bosque and nothing better than honey and cinnamon roasted pears for a tasty dessert, he was telling us. Fantastic. Beautiful. Glenn, thank you very much, sir. Enjoy the weekend and amongst your, or your produce. There he is, the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. The one and only Glenn Forsyth. Sing your
Many important happenings today on this day of our life we call the 12th of August. Call it that every year too. It's very consistent. Uh, Pete Sampras, tennis player, 51 years old today. And he was, remember, he was going to be the greatest and no one was ever going to be him again and we'll never see another one. And we've had uh, the same three players since he retired, but there you go. Also, Mark Knopfler, the man who, sw- who sung Twist Him By The Pool. He turns 73 years old today. Happy birthday to you, Mr. Dire Straits man, and your beautiful guitaring. Uh, good day for inventions. On this day in 1877, Thomas Edison recorded Mary Had a Little Lamb. And it was the very first time that he'd recorded it onto, uh, what was it, a wax disc? Basically the start of the recording industry. In New Zealand, this day in 1895, Southland's Minnie Dean became the first and only woman to be hanged in New Zealand. Remember, uh, she was the, the baby farmer. Horrible, horrible story. Uh, Things that came out on this day, 1908, the Model T Ford car, that went all right. IBM said, take this thing and put it in your house. It's called a first personal computer. That went okay for them too. If you've ever waited for fish and chips, you'll know this one. Uh, The game Street Fighter uh, came out in 1987. And 31 years ago today, Doug... Rugrats and the Ren and Stimpy show premiered on Nickelodeon and they were the first ever Nick tunes and uh, historically terrible decisions on this day in 1960 drummer Tommy Moore quit the Beatles they were known as the Silver Beatles because their bookings interfered with his job as a forklift driver I know that uh, often Pete Best gets mentioned but Tommy Moore was the first one to make the bad decision because of course on, you know what just six years later they were embarking on their final tour of the US and that's this day that we like to call the 12th of August Joining us now from our business team, it's Anand Zaki. Kia ora, Anand. How are you? Kia ora. Very well, thank you. Now, this is an interesting headline that I saw. Calls for small, zero-interest loans to help the poorest in Aotearoa. There might be calls, but is anyone? will there be any institution that would at all want to go with that? Well, there actually is already. Um, oh, right. You know, we're, yeah, we're in a time of uh, rampant inflation. Uh, you know, lending criteria is tougher than ever, and... We have the small community finance group, um, and they're, they're calling for millions to be invested in net and in zero interest uh, small personal loans. And they're called Natangata Microfinance Trust. It's a community group, and they are saying that these loans uh, help break the cycle of poverty and problem debt. Um, you know, the trust is. Uh, recycled half a million dollars in startup loan capital from Kiwi Bank, which uh, has grown to a portfolio of uh, $2.5 million in community loans. And uh, they're not big loans, uh, you know, maximum of $3,000 to repay debt or $2,000 for purchases. And uh, we heard from uh, the Tangata uh, chief executive, Natalie Vincent, and she says, uh, you know, when you provide, uh, when you actually provide fair and equitable loans that people can actually afford to repay, and coupled with ongoing support, they're actually motivated to uh, to repay. And she says, uh, zero interest and fees-free loans uh, improve the well-being of their clients. Having and having them work with a financial mentor 
uh, means that borrowers can actually learn how to manage their money in the future. And they have a, a high approval rate. 80% of applications are approved and 94% of those that borrow, are supposedly people who are too poor to borrow, actually do repay. Hmm. And... You know, she says demand is uh, increasing as well with uh, some people in situations where they are paying, already paying really high interest rates, uh, up to 35%. Uh, and, you know, they really need to get out of that hole. And this uh, charity, this charity, Natangata Microfinance, they've provided a thousand interest free, uh, fees free loans over the past 10 years. Um, and, yeah, like I said, demand is rising, and uh, this is where the call comes in. I like that because sometimes you, you just need help to get out of that little debt hole that you're in and you need to be able to get out with something like you. I, I remember being in that debt hole myself and ringing the banker going, please, can you lend me just some money just to settle my bills, which they didn't find that appealing uh, to go with. But, you know, something like that happens, then it's like, oh, I've got to get a warrant or oh, I've got to get a rego. And it just sets you back. So I'm pleased to hear uh, that that's going to help people get out of that hole. Yesterday, we discussed um, Domino's pulling out of Italy. Really, we should have discussed them going in the first place. But I see McDonald's is planning to reopen in Ukraine. Yeah, uh, slightly better story. Uh, one of the giants of uh, fast food, uh, they paused the operations after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They had more than 100 restaurants in the country before the war, but they uh, continue to pay staff throughout the pause, it has to be said. Uh, McDonald's said, uh, you know, their employees have expressed a strong desire to return to work and see the restaurants reopen, and they believe that it would support a small but important step uh, to return to some kind of normal. And Ukrainian officials also also believe that uh, it will support the local economy, which has been hit really hard because of the war. And, you know, the analysts are expecting the war to trigger about a 35% economic decline in Ukraine this year. And just in June, uh, the Ukrainian president, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, uh, urged firms to invest in the country. And look, other brands are reportedly reopening or looking to reopen, KFC, Nike, Zara among them. So hopefully this can help the Ukrainian economy uh, start to uh, return to some kind of normal. Yeah, it's a crazy normal there. And thank you very much, Anantaki there. And you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. Let's go and see what your New Zealand dollar will buy you against other dollars. It buys you 64.39 US cents, 90.51 Australian cents, 62.36 Euro cents, 52.67 British pence, 4.33 yuan, 85.5 Japanese yen and 11.56 Turkish lira. Guys, with us from the sports department. Busy weekend when it's at All Blacks and everything else that's on Barry and NPC and what have you and Farrah Palmer Cup. That's right. Uh, and um, just talking about pizza there. <laughs> How is that? Yeah, uh, uh, Friday Pie Day. No, oh. won't everyone be eating uh, while they're watching the rugby this weekend? Is is my question. Yes. Um, uh, just quickly update if you didn't catch, uh, you know, the Richie Mawang is going to start at uh, first five uh, yes. for the All Blacks this weekend. Bowden Barrett's on the bench. Uh, he had that fall last week. 
they have said that he he is fine, but they've put him on the bench anyway. Shannon Frizzell's in at number six for Akira Yawani and um, a couple of changes at prop, uh, Tyrell Lomax and Ethan De Groot. Start for Angus Ta'avau and George Bauer, respectively. And really, not a lot more can be said about that, because uh, why not? Make a couple of changes. Let's see what happens. See what happens. Yeah. It's a, bit more um, of a, it's a bit more of a slight tinker than an actual change, isn't that's, it? That's right. I mean, I, I have sort of thought, you know, the, um, what do they call them in South Africa? The bomb boys, you know. Mm, um, the bomb squads. Yeah, kicking and everything. Why not put Richie Mwanga in there? And rather than relying on... Bowden Barrett to try and spark something. He can come on um, and give it a go. So um, had been suggested in the office when we were talking about this one of the many times this week uh, that maybe um, move uh, Geordie into the centres and mm. uh, put um, Bowden at number 15. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and also I see uh, the Auckland Tuatara won their semi-final oh, of the National Basketball League. last night. What a basket yeah. for Rob Lowe. Rob Woo. Lowe, yep. He's the, been the man. Uh, he helped them beat uh, the defending champions uh, the night before, the Saints. And now he's beaten the number one qualifiers. He, the team. Nelson uh, and Otago meet in the other semi-final uh, tonight. And, uh, yes, uh, Nathan, you and I, we were chatting a little bit just about um, the BBC oh. are ending uh, um, the uh, 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 the football results. Sad loss. I remember that as a child when it was, yes. you know, you'd, you'd wait for the Sunday morning children's programs with the, uh, what was that train? The train used to scare the heck out of me. Sparky. Sparky, Sparky the talking, talking train. train. Oh, yep. I, did, I did not like that at all. I was Diana about, and the Golden Apples. Yeah, Diana. The, I was just always <laughs> waiting for bad jelly. I'm like, it's going to be bad jelly, doesn't it? <laughs> Spike. But before that, there used to be the English football scores. And I discovered yes. when I was about five that there was a place called Scunthorpe and Grimsby, and they were the funniest yes. ever. And it used to be like, Hartlepool, two, something Rovers, one. Uh, one of those, but they're cancelling it. That's right, yes. They've said that it's uh, that sort of thing really needs to be on the internet uh, rather oh. than being broadcast. Uh, I remember when I first started uh, my uh, career, uh, listening to that, as I say, you learn so many names and the pronunciation yeah. and then we did it for a while as well and that t- took a li- you know all of the scottish uh, results as well it took a yeah. six or seven minutes it was a good test of how well you would do now there was a gentleman before but james Ale- alexander gordon did it for many years and he had that sort of bbc uh, uh voice and the rhythm of the results and always an up- upward inflection when the uh, winning team was named and the likes and um yeah, Arbroath and uh, Partick Thistle to Aberdeen. Yeah. Well, see, in our house, we always had to wait for the Aberdeen score. That was that's our that's our British football team. We don't really have an English one. But, ah, uh, right. And was, you, was you've Aberdeen. obviously heard uh, Mel Smith's um, uh, Mel Smith's yeah, oh, yes. Jones, his his version of it. Um, that'll be on the internet somewhere from Alas <laughs> Smith and Jones. It's worth listening to that. also. Oh, that was a beautiful walk through the 80s. Thank you, Barry. Okay. I very Have much a good enjoyed weekend. that. There we go. Yeah, what a shame that they're missing that. It was, it was, it had a real charm to it. None of those things, place names, meant anything to me. But I really enjoyed hearing them. Perhaps you might have thought that too. Why do we do that on a sports show? Here, we'll just read the results of every sports game in New Zealand. And maybe it's like a three-hour show of just reading out scores uh, in every single sport. That'll be a ratings winner. It's uh, twenty to six. <laughs> 
I'm Nathan Rarity and you are listening to First Up here on RNZ National. So still to come on the programme, uh, it's the return of cruise ships. So we're going to cross to downtown Auckland where the Chief Executive of the New Zealand Cruise Association, Kevin Riley, is waiting to welcome the Pacific Explorer that's on the way. And Mark Hinton is in South Africa. The pressure mounting there on Ian Foster uh, will go to the Republic to get the latest from him. The professionals on Morning Report are here after six with a bit of a uh, sneak peek at the menu as we have a look at it and pull our glasses down a little bit and go, oh yeah, what's happening in here? It's Corin Dan. Kia ora, Corin, how are you? Atamaria, good morning, good morning everybody. Yeah, we will have more on these uh, extraordinary bullying allegations that have been levelled by the Labour backbencher uh, Gaurav Sharma uh, at uh, bullying in Parliament uh, within his own party across Parliament. Uh, so we'll have a lot more on that. Uh, the latest two on the coroner's report uh, into the Fox Glacier uh, helicopter crash in 2015. We'll have uh, an update on the Clendon uh, situation after a uh, w- after a body, at least at least one body was removed from that house in Clendon yesterday. So we'll have reporters there as well. Also, the latest two on the fake doctor working at Middlemore Hospital, and of course, lots of previews of the rugby. You will be getting up, won't you, Nathan? In the morning, yes. What, no, 3am in the morning um, to my, watch the game. Did you like how I answered that, though? It. Well, my staff haven't told me if I'm getting up uh, in the morning. It's someone else's job to think of that. Uh, I haven't done it. No, I'm going to, um, we've, uh, we're going to probably do the sleep properly, but avoid all media and watch it at about 7. Do that, yeah, some, there are some advantages. You can fast forward through the, the endless scrums. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one bit. That's no, it's good. more the South Africans sitting on the ground because they've oh. got a sore leg again. They all do it. So yeah. did the Irish. They slow the game yeah, down. They, they don't want it fast. I know. I know. It's frustrating. We're, we're silly trying to play it. Thank you very much, uh, Corinne Dan, who's here after six. We go to Australia now where state and federal education ministers were going to meet in Canberra today to discuss new strategies to stop up to half the country's teachers leaving the profession in the first five years. Teachers in several states have walked off the job in protest this year. Warning staff shortages mean that some children are being looked after in halls and playgrounds for hours and missing out on lessons. The New South Wales government has suggested boosting pay for the state's top teachers to keep them in the classroom for longer. The ABC's Isabel Rowe reports. High school teacher Bree Patton has been teaching children in New South Wales for seven years. I'm working harder than ever and my pay is going to stop soon um, with the yearly increases. She's the New South Wales Teachers Federation representative at Gilgandra High School in the state's central west. To break into the next pay bracket, she'll need to become an assistant principal, but she doesn't really want to. My passion lies in the classroom. Um, I get my joy from seeing students succeed and do well. So I have not much interest in going into leadership. In New South Wales, graduate teachers are paid $73,000 a year. The next step is about $89,000 a year when a teacher is considered proficient. The top ranking is highly accomplished with a pay rate of $117,000 and it takes about six or seven years of teaching to reach that point. New South Wales Education Minister Sarah Mitchell says to get paid more than that, teachers have to go into leadership positions. For those who are looking to pursue a higher salary, they often feel they have to move out of the classroom, taking away from that day-to-day teaching and really engaging with students, which is the part of their job that they love the most. 
She won't say how much high-achieving teachers should be paid. She's asked University of Melbourne education expert John Hattie to advise the government on its teacher retention strategy. The starting salaries are very generous. They are you know, amongst the highest of any other graduate professional in the country. But the problem is that after several years in the classroom, you do really reach a point where you can't progress any further. It's one of the ideas the minister will take to a meeting of state and territory education ministers tomorrow to workshop the growing problem of teacher retention. Victoria, meanwhile, has already committed $58.9 million to help fast-track more undergraduate teachers into the profession. But the president of the Australian Education Union's Victorian branch, Meredith Peace, says she hasn't yet seen a comprehensive plan from any state government. There are a lot of people in the profession considering leaving. They've had enough, they're stressed, they're burnt out, uh, and we can't afford that to happen. It's not just the pay that's driving teachers into other professions. Bree Patton says the New South Wales government could reduce red tape and give them more paid hours to plan lessons. We've got teachers who are coming at 7 o'clock. They'll do two hours of work before class starts. They'll teach through the entire day. Then they'll do another two hours after school. Weekends are filled with marking, preparing. And so we just don't have enough time to do what we all essentially became teachers for, to teach students. That's teacher Bree Patton ending that report from the ABC's Isabel Rowe. While the All Blacks play the Springboks in Johannesburg on Sunday morning... This comes as there are calls, of you might have heard them, uh, for coach Ian Foster to be sacked after the team's historic 26-10 loss in the rugby championship opener last weekend. It was the worst performance in South Africa in 94 years and it pushed the All Blacks to a record low fifth in the world rankings. Stuff sports journalist Mark Hinton is in South Africa. I asked him what was the most interesting thing about the selection of this team. Got to be the lack of uh, changes, really. I was expecting more than four new faces in the starting 15. I kind of had a feeling that on the back of last week and the nature of the defeat that there could be more changes that Ian Foster might kind of have a bit of a, uh, you know, take a bit of a risk, have a swing for the fences. But this is a, this was a pretty conservative selection. Just the one change in a back line that, you know, let's face it, has struggled pretty much the entirety of 2022 with Richie Moanga coming in for Bowden Barrett and and three changes up front with two two fresh props who played off the bench last week and Shannon Frizzell bringing his physicality. So it's kind of more of the same, which is interesting. I, I didn't expect that, and I must admit that sort of some of the vibes around the team through the week have been that there could be could be a few changes and maybe one or two, you know, risky type selections, but it hasn't played out that way. And Foster's playing it, I guess, steady. And um, defiantly, which has been a bit of his tone this week, he he's kind of <laughs> refusing to acknowledge that he doesn't have a team heading in the right direction. Mark, when the Springboks would have seen this selection, do you think they would have, you know, is there anything that, do you think that they would fear it? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, there's, there's a mountain of respect there for the All Blacks from the South Africans. That's clear, you know, the history between them uh, more than, you know, more than merits that. But there is absolutely no fear, Nate, from these box when it comes to the, these current All Blacks. They know they've got their number. They know that they have the recipe, you know, to really kind of put them in the grinder, as it were. We saw that last weekend, and I'm sure we're going to see more of it again this week, that high ball challenge. I think the All Blacks fielded five out of 15 high balls. They 
you know, so that's not a number that reflects very well. And there'll be more of that coming. There'll be more of that physical hard running. There'll be more of that that rolling mall that the All Blacks negated reasonably well, but it's going to come again. There'll be more of all those things the box do so well. And, you know, look, they know the recipe to beat this All Blacks team. They did it reasonably well last week, and, and, and they'll come out and try and do it just as well this week. It could get ugly on the high belt with that roaring crowd and everything. It's got that potential. The All Blacks are going to have to play a heck of a well just to hang in there. I, that's my feeling. I just feel that this group doesn't have that X factor that other All Blacks teams that have come here have, and it's enabled them to stay in the games and keep scoring tries and keep their noses ahead. It's just, it's just hard to see that this group has that. I, I remember talking to me old mate Ian Smith and he said about how once he was in a team and they were in a rut like this and the coach just came in one day and said, well, you just try harder, was what they had. You know, you can either <laughs> you can either do that or you can do anything tactically different. Is there any tactical secret move 11X they've got stashed up their sleeve or a different way they can play with this team or will they have to try and do it their last week and try harder? There's two aspects, but they, yeah, they have to make tactical adjustments, Nate. I mean, they're not dealing with that rush defence at all, are they? they? And they don't seem to have any ideas, so they have to come up with some new solutions there. So something different that they haven't tried, the little chip kicks, they have some, some different sort of angles, some more depth. They have a way to deal with that rush defence, that's for a start. But also, yeah, they, I mean, they just got to catch the ball. They've just got to bring their skill level up. They're just putting too much ball down. They're not able to sustain pressure. You know, they're letting the box off the hook. They're letting the box dictate terms. So they just got to do everything better. And and, and, and that aspect of try harder, I think that applies here too. They've just got to... Uh, watching that game from the stands last week, I felt one team was playing with intensity, with passion, with urgency, with all those things, and they weren't wearing black. I just thought the box absolutely, you know, the pressure game that they play so well, and it has to be played with intensity. They did those things so well, and the All Blacks were kind of on the back foot, uh, you know, kind of let the box dictate them. If they do that again, it's going to be another long, long afternoon for them. They have to come with something different, and they have to answer that box you know, that punch that the box give you, you've got to punch them back. Uh, not literally, hopefully. That's Stuff Senior Journalist Mark Hinton. Well, it is seven and a half to six, and just hours from now, the first cruise ship in two years is going to enter New Zealand waters. Waitemata Harbour, Britomart and Auckland City Centre are gussying themselves up. I think we're going to call it there to mark the arrival of PO Cruises Pacific Explorer, which is currently on a 12-night uh, round-trip cruise to the Pacific. And uh, one of those in the welcoming party is the Chief Executive of the New Zealand Cruise Association, Kevin O'Sullivan, who's uh, with me now from downtown Auckland. Kia ora, Kevin. Yeah, kia ora, Nathan. What an exciting morning for you to bound out of bed stupidly early. Uh, yeah, see, you're dead right. Um, it, it's no big hardship to get up early for an event like this. <laughs> Where's that? Where is the? Uh, I just wonder where, where is the uh, the ship coming from? It's coming from Sydney, and it's staying here for the day, and then it's off to uh, off to Fiji. Oh, okay. So only for the day. So um, talk us through it. So they're going to be here in a, what about about two hours? So they'll dock there in downtown Auckland. When do they leave? And do will the? I mean, do the passengers even will they depart? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, they'll be they'll be getting off and um, and cruising around the shops. Um, I think there are one or two tours. There's also um, quite a big welcoming ceremony put on by Auckland Unlimited and others as well too. So it's going to be a very exciting day, and it'll be exciting for the guests coming ashore as well too. 
um, just because it's a, it's a major event, really. Um, as you put it, it's the fishing back after two years, more than two years, really. March 2020 was the last time we saw a cruise ship uh, anywhere in New Zealand. Yeah. You know, when we speak to our friends in the in the airline industry, they talk about, well, it's it's hard to get our planes back up and running because, you know, we've had to have them in the desert where they're nice and, and dry and there's a bit of sand and what have you we've got to clean out. What things have had to be, re, you know, I, I guess, you know, refixed or, or re, re-prepared uh, down at the docks of Auckland to um, accept this cruise ship? Well, I know they've been doing major works on uh, Queen's Wharf and... Uh, I'm pleased to see that, in fact, the ship will be arriving uh, at Queen's Wharf, um, not some of the smaller ones. So, yeah, I guess that's been done, but that's just part of the um, usual works that go on with Ports of Auckland. Worldwide, of course, cruise has been up and running for a long time, and it barely barely stopped um, around the world. We're last, uh, really, to get cruise ships back, so... uh, all the work, the hard work's been done on the cruise ships um, a long, long time ago, and we're getting the benefit of it. So just remind, you said benefit, remind us that. Like, what, What's the economic benefit of the cruise ships to New Zealand? Well, um, before we, we had a truncated season in 2019 and 20, uh, despite that, the value that year was nearly $550 million. Um, it was probably on its way to becoming a billion-dollar industry. For Auckland alone, uh, the value um, of that last season was around about $200 million, just for Auckland. That's pretty good. We like that as well. Tell me about that. I mean, I guess people want to know, um, when we've got people that are getting off the boats, how does COVID work now, COVID testing, et cetera? Well, on board, uh, they have uh, pretty strict protocols. Uh, for example, you must be tested before you before you board um, at the beginning of the cruise. Uh, on board, there's uh, testing as well too, routinely of crew and uh, and guests. Um, but also, it's mandatory uh, vaccination for all those on board. Uh, New Zealand government requirements are actually not as tight. Um, although they do require vaccination, there's exemptions for anybody under 16 or for uh, New Zealanders or for Australians ordinarily uh, resident uh, in, in New Zealand. And of course, um, in case there is a COVID case uh, on board, then the, um, the person and their family or the per- people occupying a cabin will go into quarantine facilities that are on board. So the Pacific Explorer is here today, and it's going to be a beautiful day in Auckland uh, for them, beautiful blue sky. Uh, when do the next cruise ships start to arrive? Uh, not till mid-October. So this is a, this is a one-off. It's, uh, it's an opportunity to, to lead the way, I guess, for the cruise industry. Um, but, yeah, the, yeah, the next ship doesn't come in until, um, until mid-October. Yeah, well, I mean, what a what a fun thing, like you said, uh, to be able to get up for, uh, to welcome them uh, to New Zealand. The Chief Executive of the New Zealand Cruise Association is Kevin O'Sullivan. Kevin, thank you very much for your time today, sir. Uh, yeah, exciting times. Uh, look, um, just some news, uh, good news. Uh, we started the show with Bevan Hooley in the United States talking about how it's $30 for a bowl of French fries now in uh, New York City, sorry, $23, but if you want guacamole, it's 30 uh, And uh, so we started with him. Apparently, it's only 4 bucks for hot nuts and hot dogs in New York. We also spoke to him about the sad demise of the football scores going away uh, from the BBC, which reminded me of, uh, well, she reminded Barry Guy of one of the great sketches of all times from Alas Smith & Jones, Division the football four. scores. Scunthorpe, nil. Crew, nil. Port Vale, one, Halifax, two. 
Rochdale nil, Chester one. God dear, dear. <laughs> Torquay two, Wrexham one. God, who's interested in this stuff? Burnley one, Colchester nil. Some boring old market town in the middle of nowhere. One. Obscure coal mining village. One. Dreary seaside resort. Two. Some anonymous urban barnacle off the A1. Nil. Deadly dull suburb. Oh, I love that show. Absolutely so much. Hey, uh, thank you very much for being part of First Up uh, this week. Enjoy yourselves a happy weekend. Happy weekend. I've waited all the week for you. Morning Report is next with Guyon and Corin. From all of us here at First Up, do have a safe weekend, a wonderful one, and we'll be back in your ears on Monday. Two days for making dreams come true.